What's going on, everyone? This is the Go Long Podcast. Tyler Dunn here with Jim Bonus at Fatty Beer Company. And Jim, I always love it when we have a guest, including one who like, likes beer and likes having a good time as much as us. Paul Denner Jr., Cincinnati Bengals beat writer, The Athletic. You've heard him. You've seen him. We did this. It feels like it was yesterday, Paul, that we were talking about the 2022 season. And you blink, you look up, and here we are. It's December. How in the hell are you? Yeah, no, the the season's spinning pretty fast. This is a really actually crappy for me because I have to sit here and watch you guys drink beer in front of me uh, while I talk to you while waiting on – my beer is waiting on me at the place I'm going to after this. This is tough. I just want everybody to know the sacrifice that I'm putting forth at this moment. So basically we need to be better hosts and go long. We, we, need, we need to give yeah. you a heads up that yeah. you can't have a beer on this pod. I didn't know this was a Friday afternoon drinking podcast. I mean, if I would have known that, I first of all, I'd sign up to come on every week, but I also, uh, would, would be more prepared. I feel, I feel prepared, but I'm, I'll try to make up for it with Bengal stuff. I give better Rex Ryan stories when I have a couple of these. <laughs> I don't know that I want to hear this, the like four beers in Rex Ryan stories, honestly. It is true. I mean, we did a, a draft extravaganza, 2021 draft, and Jim, you had a few pops in you. And by a few, I mean, how many do you think you had? It was a good day. I, day and night. They say you can't you can't drink all day unless you start in the morning. So, a lot of stories were flowing that night. A lot of stories, but we've got a lot of Bengal fans, a lot of readers, a lot of listeners, Paul. So we're uh, we're gonna just make you a recurring guest, whether you like it or not. So. Okay. We'll take you here whenever I do see you in person. I owe you that for uh, you're just an awesome dude. In addition to being one of the best beat writers in the country, so you know there's people that are listening to this probably before the game against Kansas City, but mostly after the game. We'll talk big picture. Cincinnati defending AFC champs, state of the franchise. Take it any direction you want. Where is this team right now? They're in a great place. You know, I, I just think they they have been through a lot this year. You know, they sort of took their Advil and shook off the Super Bowl hangover, and they found a way to get their new pieces uh, up front to kind of take some time to gel. It was a work in progress. They've lost Jamar Chase for a month. They dealt with losing DJ Reader, uh, which the bigger loss than most know. Uh, they lost their number one corner in Chidabe Awuzie, who, Tyler, you know how – good he is and how important he is to the kind of the soul of this team and yet here they have been they've worked their way back into form where I think they feel that they are a team that needs to be said in the same breath with the Chiefs and the Bills and the Dolphins in the AFC and I think their play lately has backed that up Joe Burrow has evolved this year, which I don't, you know, people probably don't think about because he's been so good everywhere he's been. He's taken in the Super Bowl, but his game has really changed this year in that he's not deep shot reliant. He's not, he's really understood situational football and played the percentages at such a high level to create an efficient offense as teams as defenses have really just refused to let him beat them over the top. And that's really kind of been what's moved them to this place they're at, where now they feel like they're entering this December where they have the toughest schedule in football left, but mm-hmm. they love it. And the the symbol of that was this phrase that came out last week, 
that was yelled by uh, defensive assistant Mark Duffner, who's been around the league forever. Oh, yeah. Duff, oh, yeah. Duff is well-traveled, um, but he is uh, – awesome. nobody is more intense after wins. Yeah. And he screamed out after – in the, it was a social media video of the game ball presentation by Zach Taylor. And he said, you know, last night uh, everybody was talking about the schedule, and he just screams, they got to play on at the top of his lungs. And it has become a bit of a rally cry around here. And it's more, it's more than that, though. It's really kind of given a real insight to the state of this team. They think that they're the best team in this league. And they think it's stupid that everybody only wants to talk about the Bengals' schedule. The fact that they got to play the Chiefs and the Bills and Deshaun Watson and Tom Brady and Lamar Jackson again. And I think people need to be recognizing what they've been doing and who they are and are incredibly motivated to go prove it over the, this next month and a half before entering the playoffs and the opportunities right there in front of them. So all that is a long way of saying what I said at the beginning. They feel like they're in a really good place right now. <laughs> you know what I like what you said there, Paul, it made me think of how it is about they have to play us. Um, when I was with the Saints during the glory years, their Super Bowl, I'm telling you, you could have been ranked whatever defensively going into that game. Don't care. Don't care who your top pass rusher is. I'm sure he's a stud. Don't care who the corner is. You have to play us. We know we're getting our 30. If, if the bounces go, you know, if you're playing another team that can score, well, we're going to have a shootout. And, you know, but that starts with Burrow, you know, the same way it started with Breeze, no is that, that when I talked about his evolution, that's what it's been. It's that his full belt has so many more tools in it this year and that mm-hmm. you just he just shows up and figures out what kind of game it's going to be in the first couple of drives and how you want him to beat you today. And he's been pretty good at doing it in that whether you want him to just complete 85% of his balls and throw underneath and have 10 play drives. He's done that on repeat to the point that defensive coordinators lose their patience and say, screw it. All right, we'll go back to man. And then they go to man and then it's T Higgins on deep balls or oh, March he's on the side. And he's picking it apart, and, and that's been the thing, is that Burrow has added those tools, understood a, at a far higher level how to avoid the negative, uh, the negative plays, um, and it's, it's made them dangerous where it's like, whatever, man. Whatever you guys want to do, uh, he knows of the way to go out and, and win the game. I love that point. I mean, that was I – mean, we, we both talked to Dan Pitcher, the quarterback's coach, a handful of times, and – They've got such a great relationship, but that's really what he broke down. It's, it's yeah, it's taking what that defense gives you, but the second that they go single high or the second you have an opportunity to go deep, like take it. And I feel like the polar opposite of where, where the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow are at right now is what we saw last night with Mac Jones and the Patriots, where it's, I mean, they, on the broadcast, like Kirk Herbstreet and Al Michaels, like they're, they're saying, oh, yeah, they're frustrated, but like look at what we're seeing here. There's two safeties sitting back. There's nothing available. And then Matt Jones is bitching and screaming and saying, we got we to gotta throw. And he's right. Like, we got to take chances. But, like, between the play calling being terrible with Matt Patricia, between a quarterback who isn't pulling the trigger when he maybe has an opportunity here and there, it's like a mess in the passing game. There it is. And then you look at Joe Burrow and the Bengals, and it's they're patient when they have to be patient, but they're still taking the chance when they have to take a chance. What does that really look like up close, Paul? Like, because now they get Jamar Chase back, <laughs> and, and right, it's it's going to unlock so much with this offense. 
You know what's interesting? And so we have a writer in Philadelphia, Matt Gelb, who I don't know if you've heard of oh, Matt. He, are you kidding me? Covers the Phillies, right? I've had a few of these with Matt Gelb and at Syracuse. He's a good buddy. Yeah. Matt, Matt, Matt wrote an incredible story um, about the Phillies before the World Series, and it was about how losing Bryce Harper changed everything for them this season and that it forced so many other people to be uncomfortable and to know that they had to do more and find ways to get more out of themselves. And it put them in the right position to, to be a more well-rounded team. And when they dropped Bryce Harper back in at the end, they really took off. Baseball and football are different in that way. But the mindset here has been the same. I think Burrow was very comfortable with Jamar as a crutch early this year. Like, it's just so easy. And they would joke, and we would joke, the second they saw a man, because they weren't seeing a lot of it, you knew it was where it was going. It's going to one. He's just going to do whatever. And that's what it is. It, it was so ingrained. And I just think there's a comfort level that you have with that where you forget and you don't worry as much about everybody else. You don't involve everybody else. You don't develop as much those other aspects of your offense. When he went down, they were forced to do that on the fly. And then you have Trent Irwin and Samaj P. Ryan and T. Higgins came back as a number one guy and Tyler Boyd was moving around more than he was before and being effective that way. They really revitalized the efficiency of their run game. Like all of that stuff, I'm not going to say it's because Jamar Chase is out, but it really forced them to focus on that other stuff and being way more effective and throwing check downs. Something as simple as that as being quicker it always being in the right spot. The guys making guys miss out there more often. Like that stuff matters in the big picture of being a well-rounded offense and having to have, like we said, all those tools. Hmm. And now you drop Chase back into it and they hope they'll have the Bryce Harper returns effect that you can then just drop it in and it flies all the way back in. So I think it was good. Well, now in retrospect, when they go three and one for them, it was good. But that, that Chase walked away because I think it forced in the entire offense to kind of develop itself a little bit more. Real quick on that point, and I feel like we don't talk about that enough with the development of a young quarterback. We both grew up watching Brett Favre, right? And Favre, what did he do early in his career? It was was, the hell Sterling Sharp. Like just kept throwing to him. Yeah, chuck it up. And then Sterling Sharp tragically like breaks his neck, turns over in 1994. And you got Robert Brooks and like Anthony Morgan and um, Antonio Freeman, and that's when you never get hurt, but it forced him to be like disciplined. But it also is when you know you have the right guy at quarterback because whoever Green Bay had, that offense was going to be good no matter what mm-hmm. because of the quarterback. Now, you, to find that's the quarterback receiver combo, that's special to be that elite. And, and Burrow wasn't even reckless like Favre was, not even career, close. You know, they're not like, even that's what's right. crazy. He's right. so smart with how he reads the field. I I agree that Burrow has taken – I always thought Lamar, you know, it's Mahomes and Josh Allen, and then and I thought Lamar was number three. Not anymore. I think Burrow is by far number three. He was knocking there. But it, these are for the nobody cares about quarterback rankings that we all have. Um, <laughs> here's, a, here's a question I want to go. Front office. Duke Tobin and Taylor, do they have a great relationship, a good relationship? Is it built for sustained success? And if they don't go to a Super Bowl, knowing Burrow is the franchise quarterback here in the next two to three years, does anybody lose their job over this? Meaning Taylor. 
Because Burrow um, is going anywhere. Yeah, and Duke's not going. And Duke's anywhere. not going anywhere either. Right. He's basically a Brown. I mean, you know, he's. Well, I guess family. what I'm saying is <laughs> right. No, you're right. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. He's right. I guess what I'm asking, and now we just said that, would Duke Tobin or who will would somebody fire Taylor, knowing that so, he has to beat Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes? Sure. Yeah. No. I, it's a great question. I, here's the thing. I mean, so the first time. Duke Tobin ever sat on the podium inside the Bengals press conference room. Now he had done stuff before and he's obviously been very involved, but the first time he sat up there, he was next to Mike Brown and Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor was the first time where here's Duke Tobin presenting his coach, right? This was as much Duke's hire, Duke's person as as anybody in the building, they they found each other in a lot of ways, and they have kind of been in lockstep in the way they view personnel, in the way they view team building. I think they've taught each other a lot in the process, and I think they feel as bonded as anything. Now, I'm not in all those conversations all no, the time. I, yeah. I know them, you know, and I know what they say about each other. Um and I know how many times they have hit home runs for each other that I'm sure there's a lot of love between the two. Uh, you know, they've had a lot of tough decisions that they've had to work through as a personnel coach combo. And we know how different the Bengals are to most in that respect. That's a big deal. And they've mm-hmm. hit on drafts since Zach has gotten here at a higher rate than probably anybody else in football. When you look at up to down, top to bottom. And so for that reason, you know, I think they have a great relationship that is sustainability. And there's one thing that they treasure here, I can say with 100% certainty more than any other place in the National Football League. And it's patience. It is. They're never going to need you. They're never going to like, I mean, look, Marvin was here for 16 years. You know, I mean, they point. believe in giving time. And they kept Zach at 625 and one after two years. How many organizations? I mean, I'll answer it. How many organizations other than this would have kept their coach after two years? I think that tells you where they're at with believing in him. Well, devil's advocate, did Burrow help? A little bit. Oh, absolutely. No, that's not. No, this is not me saying that Zach Taylor. No, no, no. Maybe, maybe it's maybe it goes to show. Just be really, really terrible, and, and get a quarterback. Tank. And, and then, tank. No, they weren't. Tank. No, and that, <laughs> no. But I love hearing that about. Duke. That's not the story. Isn't that the story for every team? Every, you either get yeah, the quarterback. It's all we talk about. You either get one, and then we can talk about how the coaches compete against each other because there's like eight of them that have real QBs and then they battle against each other with the other parts. I want to see Tom Brady's Christmas, Who who's getting him gifts. Josh McDaniels, oh, yeah. Patricia, all those guys. But look at like even, you know, Zach Taylor's brother press. I mean, they've got uh, a quote-unquote generational guy. No and it's been tough with Trevor Lawrence. You, there, It is also simplistic to say, get a stud Heisman Trophy winning, can't miss prospect, and mm. everything else. Like, they, the Bengals have done a lot around Burrow, too. You know, tr- and we talk about this. It's Trevor's rookie year. Yeah, it is. Yeah, if, I'm gonna, I'm not giving up on him yet because I do see Doug Peterson's a good football coach. I want to ask you though, because you see it day in and day out. But outside looking in, a lot of people love to mock the Bengals for like how oh. short staff they are. 
you know, how they just don't pay for scouts and all over the country and I personnel think it, people. It changed a little, I think. But are, there's got to be some benefits to – maybe this is a like a spin zone of all spin zones, and I'm way off, but there's got to be some benefits to not having a lot of cooks in the kitchen and overanalyzing oh. and overthinking. Because I, I like in, that. in the NFL in general, like there's <laughs> so much overthinking. I mean, how is Zach Wilson the second overall pick? Like how how many times have the Jets like talked themselves into circles to select Zach Wilson ahead of Justin Fields? You know what I mean? Probably a lot of people with a lot of opinions, and then they came to a terrible decision. Maybe there is a benefit to let's just not have as many people working for us and just let's just get to it the right decision. I don't know. They, I wrote all this was uh, a story I spent a lot of time working on last year um, in the run up. It was during the playoff run, and it was my sort of my major piece before the Super Bowl. It was on the Bengals staff, scouting staff, and a little bit of the vindication um, that came from everything coming together. They viewed the size of their scouting staff, which is, you know, really why I had the numbers in that. But, I mean, the Ravens have, like, 32 people in their personnel. Oh, it's so over the top. Yeah, And the Bengals had six, okay? And so they view that as a feat, not a defect. They view that as they know when a player comes in the building that everyone is on board with him. It's not GM is giving the coach a guy because the way they use their coaches, those coaches have a voice, not just a little voice. The coaches, coordinators, the position coaches, they do the reports too. They do the, they do the interviews too. They do full evals and work with the scouts to come and form the opinion. So inevitably, you have probably the same amount of people weighing in, but they are people from different corners of the building have to work together to make one player work. So, you know, you don't want to just hand Brian Callahan and Dan Pitcher a quarterback that they don't want. Never do. Or, and you can say that at every position. Yes. They don't want to hand a linebacker to the defense, to Lou Anarumo that he didn't kind of want. They want his voice to be one of the major ones. And that is why they feel like they've been so successful over the years and why Duke Tobin has told me since the first time I asked him this question like a decade ago, he said to me, look, I don't need more voices. I just need the right one. Yeah. That's so, his line that you I think where I love this concept because I believe that too, as a former scout. So, as somebody who, who worked with Rex Ryan and, and Doug Marone. I, I do agree. It's, it's maddening. If I could just tell it's maddening. How many times you, you could sit there and have 14 grades on one player. You know, it's, it's too, it's just over the top. I think why the Bengals, why when we first started back in the mid 2000s, talked about the Bengals a lot. Um, as far as not having scouting staff, I think it's because of the character, finding the background information. And now that meet, now that things have evolved to the point where everything's an open book, you can buy a service, Blesto and National. The Bengals do all that. They get all that information just like everybody else. Now just grade the talent and the coaches better be on board. And that to me is actually a sign of a great organization. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, that's a great point. I think they struggled and it exposed them before the technology overhaul and the, 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 the total math. No one, there's nobody that's going to get drafted that everybody doesn't already know everything about. Right. You know, you can get extra information. <laughs> 
you can have you can have relationships. Uh, certainly, I think uh, that's an underrated aspect because I think that this coaching staff has a lot of good relationships across college and yeah, pro and has a better feel for it um, than the previous staff did. Uh, and that's not a knock on Marvin, but um, I think his staff was typically older. It wasn't as in touch with the college. There wasn't as many guys that came from college ball up and back and up and down. And I think that you miss that a little bit. And I think there's a real thing to the connection with, you know, younger personnel guys, guys that have really thrived and that are the top henchmen here. Stephen Red, Stephen Radicevich, Potts, who's their director of college personnel. Uh, you know, those guys, they're all kind of of the same age. They came up the same way. They see it the same way. They, they have relationships in the college game. That helps. That helps give you a little bit of extra feel and an understanding of what the full team can look no like. No question. Such a fantastic point. I love this. Yeah, this is good. Yeah, even like a, a really good team, like the San Francisco 49ers. I, I remember doing a story of Bleacher Report on like them trying to become Super Bowl contenders after they won three games, but they're getting everybody healthy. And then they actually made the Super Bowl the next year, I think. But I was talking to scouts there, and they were pretty unhappy. Like they felt like, okay, the coaches kind of have – a little bit more say than they should on draft it. Like they're looking at highlight reels. They're not looking at the, the totality of the whole picture. Yeah, and then at any moment, true. Kyle Shanahan could come in and say, you know, take Joe Williams in the fourth round and he's mm-hmm. out of the NFL in a year. You know, it's, so I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what the perfect situation is, but that seems to be it, right? If you can somehow get people on the right page and streamline it, Small circle, small circle yeah. for the decision makers. Yeah. Got to be small. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got to, you got to have. You know, they call it their Bengal grade, like most teams do. But I mean, it comes from inevitably. Duke is going to make that call, right. but it, it is. You're right. It's from. Yeah, it comes down to. You know, I, 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 God, I can't. I can't even tell you how many words I spilled on the chase for a school decision when that was going down. But you know, eventually, you and they ended up in a circle of you know, six people that had to be in the room at the end, you know, to sit there and say, all right, what are we going to do here? What is this decision? A defining decision for our organization going to be one of the toughest draft decisions I've ever seen a team have to make in in a high stakes spot like that was at five overall. Burrow's getting crushed. You got to build the line and here's this receiver, right? And what's happened? The league has followed that decision. All the, follow the money, follow the picks. Everyone has realized that was the right call. Get the receiver, pay the receiver. You've got to protect, but you get the star tackle was not the right decision. Jamal, I would think previous regimes and many coaches, I don't know what the percentage would have been if they were in the same spot, would have picked, and, picked Sewell over Chase. They picked Chase and it changed everything for them. And Panesu's really damn good. He's a good player. Like, he's a badass. Hey, I love no, he's, he's, he's not the issue. There's no issues with him. Right. Like, no. What you want. No. It's about it was a philosophical decision. It wasn't a player decision. And the, and it was a philosophical decision of foresight yes. amongst that group of how the NFL is going to change going forward. And then it did. Right. And then look at the, if, the Dolphins trade for Tyreek. The Bills, they got digs. I mean, the, the Eagles traded for AJ Brown and paid him. You do not, when you have a franchise quarterback, when you have that in place, you yeah. do not add a left tackle for him unless it's complete available luxury. 
you give him a number one wide out if you yeah. can. Yeah. Diggs. Kelsey and Casey, however you want to say it. Look at last night. Deion Dawkins That's, is out. It doesn't Matthew matter. Leads the league in snaps, it doesn't but matter. You it doesn't can't, matter. The way the rules are set up, you are not stopping a lethal one-two combo. You're not. Yeah. No, and especially one that is somebody that only makes your quarterback happier and not just because because it's his dude. You know I mean? It's like you didn't just give him a guy. You gave him his guy. And so that made it even, I think, an even greater – decision but it was you know it's just so interesting it was it was so interesting to see something that was really at the cornerstone of like league philosophy and and to see that kind of shift in the moment and the Bengals going to the Super Bowl kind of helped I think push that forward a little bit in the copycat league but um you know it it was because they sat there and had the right people that made the decision not because they had 80 grades on Jamar Chase you know I, I don't think I don't think having a tiny scouting staff is the re- necessarily the reason it's great. I think the circle is right. I think they need more help. I think they could use more under people to help do stuff. There's no reason to not have that. Really? That said, I think the, they do have it right with the way the core should work and how everybody that's going to work with every player should be no integral in, in that circle for those decisions. That's a fantastic point. I mean, it is so funny, though. I feel like the draft industrial complex is a big problem here, too, because we talk about draft prospects, like, way longer than we used to. I can still remember being a kid, grabbing the one draft magazine you could get, the sporting news magazine, and it was like, our family would go on vacation, me and my dad would pull out that magazine, and we would just talk about prospects in, like, March or April. And that was kind of when people started talking about, and even that was kind of new. Now it's like, right now, everybody's breaking these prospects down. And you overthink it, you hyperanalyze, and it became a point with the Sewell-Jamar Chase thing where you were an idiot if you said they should take the receiver. I mean, you were a smart all-22 expert if you said they should take the lineman. Like, ah, it it, it just drives me insane. The group think and the draft experts and the sticks-up asses like a mile high. Just It would be nice if Twitter would just spontaneously spontaneously combust i'd be okay with that no almost so I, you know i i totally agree with you and I, we do not have the kind of time that you would get by sparking me in the draft industrial complex conversation because <laughs> I, it is insane and the other part of it is you don't have your mock all, draft up at the athletic you don't get the mock up oh, seven rounds come on I do like the ones that I season going on right now. You gotta get that seven it, round mock out. I try to explain process, okay? I, well, people want to judge me off the fact that you gotta pick right, or you like this guy, and they don't think he knows how to work a four eye shade or some dumb shit. I, I'm just saying, like, no, I'm here to explain Bengals process. Like, I want you to ha- understand how they work better. That's my job, not to judge your online tape grinding okay and that is the problem is that everybody is sitting here going off on like oh well i watched every tape okay have you spoken heard this man speak have you learned who at all about who he is as a person do you know anything about who he was to affect winning and losing in the locker room at x school do you know anything about his family situation do you know anything about his view on work. These are the things that define. I'm feeling good about myself. 
I mean, these are the things that, like, but I agree with. But I agree with what you're saying. Players, don't they? I mean, it, it, I, I, yes, the tape is huge. Like that uh, stuff is massive. But what really defines guys that hit and don't is the other stuff. And nobody that sat there and grinded tape and analytics knows anything about that. The teams do, and that is such a part. And they and they get ripped because they took a guy high or low. Oh, that nobody understands because like, nobody I, knows about character. I love it. I, Paul, I want you to just. We got to. We got to do a draft. We're gonna have to do a draft special. Yeah, we're gonna, uh, because have you back on let me calm down. Let me like. Let me. Let me take. Let me get a beer. Jesus, does, that, does anybody need one more than me now? After you spark that conversation, I'll need a few to be able to uh, calm down before you take me down that road. You're a legend, Paul. It is so good to have you here. Before we cut you loose. I just want to hear any any Paul Brown story because I, I read America's Game by Michael McCambridge. It's like required reading if you consume pro football in any way. I learned so much about Paul Brown in that book. It, it blew my mind. I feel like like the average football fan doesn't really know his impact on the game. It's like it's Lombardi and Landry and Hallis and so many things we take for granted. Like Paul Brown just originated way back when. I don't. Do you have any Paul Brown stories that like you'd like to share or anything? You think people should know? Oh, you know. I've, I've talked to Mike a decent amount about his dad and, uh, you know, and those are always really enlightening. And we, myself and, and our, our mutual friend, Jim Ozarski, did a lot of work on the Bengals in their 50th anniversary of looking back at TV and a lot of the stuff that he did. But what I always love is the stories I hear from guys that were on the beat then, which shoot guys like Peter King and you know, when he first started, started here and the guys that, that were uh, and girls that, that did the job then. TB was as accessible as any human being could be. And I can only imagine to be covering an NFL team and Paul Brown is just standing there on the sidelines wanting you to come talk to him about football, the team, the 50s, like the, uh, evolving the game and, the, and how you could just sit there reporter and just listen to this guy who's a genius spill anything you wanted to know to him and be it makes me yearn for those days i know we never have anything like that again um but it, it, there's a part of that is why um i enjoy every time we get to talk to mike because mike feels the same way he appreciates us he likes being able to tell stories he wants people to feel informed and understand and he's unfiltered the same way paul brown was and um you know, I think that just to have that opportunity, I can only imagine what that was like. Um, you should ask Peter because he has told me some of those stories before of just how lucky you felt to stand there with the Paul Brown just kind of spilling his info to you. That, I, 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 I love yeah, yeah. that. I mean, maybe yeah, nobody good. even cares listening, but we could talk about accessibility and like that stuff matters, matters so much. I mean, nowadays it's like experienced it this week to an extent. You talk to a player, he's himself. He says something from a place of honesty, and it just gets thrown into the Twitter, you know, ecosystem. There's, back, there's backlash. He sees the backlash. He panics. He says he was taken out of context. And it's like, and why can't you just be human talking to human right. beings? I know. It's, a, it's unfortunate because, yeah, you're right. The second, the second someone acts real and acts like a human being, it gets used against them. Uh, and it ruins the relationship of the person you were talking to. We were just trying to relay their human quality as well, you know. And but there's there's not an appreciation for that anymore. Everything has changed. 
Now I really need a beer. You've taken me down a second wormhole. <laughs> That's right. Like we're taking you all the way into the. All right, go get a beer, Paul. You're the man. Thank you so much for doing this. You're busy as hell covering this team. Uh, for you to take a half hour longer than that, it, it means the world. So thanks so much. Anytime. Yeah, uh, have a good one. We'll see you soon, TD. You guys have a good one. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, guys.